Welcome to the Art of Pilates podcast. I'm your host, Louise Torp from Torp Pilates. Let me help you live better through Pilates. I aim to keep you motivated, inspired, and informed with insight into many Pilates topics and awesome Pilates practitioners. If you'd like to engage with the podcast further, you can find me at the Art of Pilates group on Facebook. Let's start. Today, I'm speaking with Sue Croft, physiotherapist. She's also the author of Pelvic Floor Recovery, Physiotherapy for Gynecological and Colorectal Repair Surgery, and Pelvic Floor Essentials. Sue, thank you so much for making the time to talk to me today. I just absolutely love your book, Pelvic Floor Essentials. I feel like every Pilates instructor, everyone who's had a baby or planning to have a baby should have that book. Everyone who's going through menopause should have your book as well. Thank you. I absolutely love it. I think it should be in every single doctor's office in every Pilates studio. I'm really looking forward to reading the second book. I haven't actually read that one yet. Yeah, so thank you for taking the time. And I just wanted to ask you, what made you want to specialise in pelvic floor physiotherapy? Well, it started about 30 years ago when um, I had my last child and I went and did four hours a week just relieving over at a major hospital in Brisbane. Mm -hmm. And when that little locum job had finished, the girl who was doing pelvic health physiotherapy left And they asked me, would I do it? And nobody wanted to do it then because they were all not had their children and no one wanted to do the internal examinations. And so because I'd had my three children, I thought, yes, I'll go and do the courses and I would be happy to do that. That's not a problem. So I went and did the courses and I realised that after my own three children, I had a fair bit of pelvic floor dysfunction, which I wasn't really aware of, which really sort of blew me out of the water a little bit to realise that I had this little secret that I didn't really hadn't really presented, that I had issues that I hadn't really pinpointed meant that there was pelvic floor dysfunction there. Wow. So what happened was I then just became passionate about it. I love it because it's very rewarding when you can help someone who's got a very silent problem and, and an unknown one like I had myself. And you're able to then bring them along that journey and teach them about how to learn what's normal for bladder and bowel, what goes wrong, teach them how to do pelvic floor muscle training, help them through the problems of urinary incontinence or prolapse. Then they're very grateful. It's a very quiet gratefulness though. You know, it's not like you get a big word of mouth thing because, you know, it's a very private area. And so I think what happens is slowly that ripple and effect and that word of mouth effect gets out to people and that's when they want to come and learn, you know, how to do things and they come and see you. But it's all very quiet, private and and not much talking about it. So yeah, a bit of a silence about pelvic floor issues. Yeah, exactly. No one's kind of like boasting on the internet how they're wetting themselves. No, no. (laughs) I think that has changed a little bit, you know, in the sense that with social media, there is a lot more coming out about how we can treat urinary incontinence. We do treat prolapse and that's got its good side. It's got its negative side as well. So we, but we'll talk more about the negative side later on, hopefully. And what's your interest in Pilates? So, look, my interest is really in exercise. I have an interest in any sort of exercise because that's what we've got to be promoting women to do. We want women to move. We want them to exercise and get strong. We want them to have good bone density. We want them to exercise with gay abandon as they age. So Pilates as such is not so much of I'm not driven by Pilates, but I'm encouraging everybody to keep exercising. And Pilates is really well recognized as a form of exercise where you're doing a group of strengthening exercises, a group of exercises that revolve around how muscles work together. So I don't really see I think 
exercise as medicine. So anything we can do to try and promote people to do that. And this is the shame of it at the moment in that at the present time, there is a change in the way Pilates is certainly uh, reimbursed from private health insurance for patients. And then this really stops some people choosing to do Pilates because they don't get a refund on it. And it's really important that we understand that Pilates is just a form of exercise. There's nothing bad or good about Pilates. It's just something that's another way of exercising. So if you've got Pilates trainers out there who are giving people classes and giving them a a guidance about cueing their pelvic floor when they're doing their Pilates and relaxing their pelvic floor when they're doing Pilates, that's a great thing. Mm. But any exercise, our message as health professionals working in the area with women is keep exercising and we don't want the things that come with pelvic floor dysfunction such as urinary leakage and prolapse to stop them exercising. Yeah, because that's the fear. I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to damage my pelvic floor. I better just do nothing. Exactly, yeah. And then all your muscles atrophy. Yeah. So I think the thing is that we know that we can make prolapse worse if we do certain exercises. So the, the mindfulness bit is about understanding what your client's pelvic floor is about. Do Have they had vaginal deliveries? Have they some type of screening sheet that you can actually pick up? Hey, this lady's at risk. This lady's going to have problems. She's had four vaginal deliveries. Mm. You know, she's talking about she can't hold a tampon in, you mm. know. That's a dead set certain thing that mm. she's got some problems going on in her pelvic floor. Wow. And so what inspired you to write both of your books? So I had wanted to write this surgical book for about 10 years because I was really sick of writing, handwriting down all these things that one has to be careful of when you have a surgical a surgery. Mm-hmm. So it, it really was something I'd want to do a long time. I had all my handouts there. I had it, but I wanted to produce a book because it was easy for patients then to take into hospital and refer to. And so when I was faced with my own little tiny health thing, I thought, oh my goodness, get off your butt and do this. And so over the course of eight weekends and a lot of Caramello Bears, I actually put it all down and got that first book out. And so that was really what it was about. It then became apparent when I had every patient I was giving the first book to, you've got a lot of women who don't ever need surgery. And Mm. so they're a little perturbed about the fact, whoa, why is this physio giving me this surgical book? And so I immediately then sat down and, and it took me a lot longer to write the second book, which was just all the surgery out. And the second book is really just covering all the things that aren't required with surgery. So yeah, that was the first edition. Of course, I've expanded on that considerably with the third edition. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. And what was the most challenging part of writing your books? Look, the revisions have been the most challenging part, actually updating it with the evidence. And so when I'm up to edition four with the surgical book, and I've had to completely change everything, my language in there, I tried to stop it from being something that was making it scary. You mustn't do this and you mustn't do that. Mm. And so I turned rules into guidelines. Yeah. And I started to say, well, let's look at you as an individual person and you try and work out, well, from the things I've listed in there, what are the risk factors that you might have? Well, if you've got some sign of, as I said, that tampon dislodging is a a good one. If you've got drag and ache and heaviness, well, there's an indication then that you've probably got some problems with the muscles there. And if you do certain exercises where you're increasing the load, you're liable to cause there to be increased descent. And so you're going from someone who's got some pelvic floor weakness 
and no sense she's got a prolapse to suddenly someone's got a bulge and they've done a series of exercises that someone might have given them and the bulge has been made worse and then they become apparent. They look with a mirror and they freak out. So I think it's doing that unknown. You don't know what someone's doing until they've had that internal examination. You don't know what the state of affairs is down there. And that's that unknown thing. So rather than just blindly saying this will be fine, it's Pilates, Pilates makes you stronger, it's good for your pelvic floor, well, it may not be. And so we need to know that. And then all we have to do is say, well, let's not do this, this and this, the rest is fine. Or let's focus more on the fact that you just always got these muscles on Mm. and you think on is really good, but actually it might be increasing someone's pain. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about pelvic pain later and how that over-tightening and over holding of the muscles can be a problem Mm, absolutely what was the most rewarding part of writing your books i think it's when patients urogynecologists mind you in brackets but when patients come back and say i read your book before i even came to see you i actually put this into practice i changed my good you know my bad bladder habits into good ones i changed the way i sat on the toilet and all of a sudden oh my goodness something i've had 20 years problem with suddenly became easy just by putting some toilet rolls under my feet and I've actually three quarters solved the problem but I wanted to come and get that assessment of my pelvic floor Mm. that makes me feel really good and the problem with Australia is it's a very big country and there's a lot of people who live out in the regional areas who are never going to get to see a public health physiotherapist and they're not going to get to see them easily. Mm. So if they can read it, and that's why I've tried to write it, I've got technical stuff in there, but I've tried to write it in an easy, friendly way so that people can sort of get the hang of what it is. Mm. Um, So they might be able to, in a situation where we normally say, don't read pamphlets and do things, I've tried to give them lots of cues as to how to say, if you feel downward pressure when you try and lift your muscles, well, stop doing it. You're better to do nothing than to do practice an exercise that's actually making things worse. Yeah, exactly, bearing yeah. down rather than lifting, lifting up. up. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And do you have a mentor? Well, look, I'm old. <laughs> I'm very old now, but I've, I feel like I hope I'm a mentor to quite a lot of people whether it's like in the sense that I write my blog and that they might like reading that and passing it on but you know I have a couple of urogynecologists who I'm very very comfortable with asking them anything and asking them what do you think what do I do I don't know what to do here what do you think so I see them as my mentors in a way because they're also very wonderful women, Dr. Judith Go and Dr. Hannah Krauss, who go, when we go on holidays to Noosa, they go on holidays to Uganda and do some amazing surgery for women who've got fistula problems. So they do fistula repair surgery over there, all for nothing. They do it all out of the goodness of their heart. They're amazing people. They go three and four times a year around the world teaching other doctors in these developing countries to do the work they do. So it's not just a matter of going and doing the operations on women. They teach the doctors there to do it and so that those women can actually have ongoing care. I also have a group of very close women's health friends and we have a little group where we bounce things off each other and so I see them as colleagues who I can ask them anything and run anything by them as well. So, yeah, if you want to call them a mentor, then they are. But I suppose from when I first started training, Dr. Ruth Sapsford is a women's health physio from a long time ago and she was the first course I went to 
Uh, she ran it and she really must have inspired me to become as passionate as I am about the pelvic floor. She's a very passionate teacher and I thank Ruth very much for everything she taught me all those years ago. Wow. And I was talking to a Pilates instructor the other day in one of my workshops about the importance of being able to relax the pelvic floor as well as being able to engage the pelvic floor. And she was wondering, how do you know when the pelvic floor muscles are relaxed? Like she was saying, oh, am I relaxed now? Yeah. So is there, is there a way to teach how to relax the pelvic floor? Okay, so... I think the first thing is that we need to talk about the action of the pelvic floor. They are lifting and squeezing muscles. So they elevate. That's why they get their name, the levator ani muscles. So they elevate. But if you are someone who, and and let's face it, women are trained to have very flat tummies. We also sit with our legs crossed so no one can look up our skirt. And so when our inner thighs, our adductors are on, our pelvic floor is also co-contracting. When we pull our low tummy in, our transversus abdominis and our other abdominal muscles, our pelvic floor is on. When we squeeze our glutes, our pelvic floor goes on. So if we are in a constant state of perfect posture with everything in and we're also crossing our legs so no one looks up our skirt, the pelvic floor is held very rigidly and strongly. And so if you, your people who are listening to you out there now (laughs) grip their fist, they make a fist, they've got their arm bent, and they're really trying to make their biceps. They want to show their muscles off here. Yeah. They want to show their guns and their, yeah. you know, so they do that. And then you do that for a little bit more. And now do it for, you know, an hour. And now do it for two days. Oh, God. See, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> you know, those muscles would feel achy and sore. Yeah. When you tried to lift something with your biceps, they would be weak because you've been over contracting them for oh. two days. So over strengthening and holding everything on without a really big focus on the relaxation of that is a really big problem. And this is what we see in a lot of younger women, Mm. you know, and that's why it feeds in nicely to pelvic pain. Mm. The other thing is we get a lot of pelvic pain when we have periods. And so some girls have monthly cycles of periods Mm. where everything is cramping very strongly. If Mm. you have a cramping pain, then you actually will tend to bend over in the fetal position and you scrunch everything up. Mm. And so these pelvic floor muscles are very closely involved with the pain that's associated with either just painful periods or actually when someone's got endometriosis. Mm. And so we may not be able to affect what's going on with the endo in terms of that that material which is proliferating and causing problems and attaching to other areas. Mm. But what we can do something about is making sure those muscles are nice and relaxed. And one of the things I say to people is to sit like a man. If you think about how to sit like a man, you know, they take up three spaces in a bus, you know, because their legs are spread really wide, mm-hmm. which feels so unnatural to women because we're encouraged to really hold them on strongly across our thighs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we also, we've got to let your belly go. So if you just let your stomach go right off, let it go off. And so you're a bit of a Pilates instructor. I'm just know, looking I'm, for the audience. I'm looking it, at her. And it's really sick. hard to like, because I feel like, oh, no, I'm just going to look fat. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's, that thing is... And But, you know, I say to girls who've got pelvic pain, I say you are going to feel fantastic when you actually do this. And so you've got to actually let them feel, just let it go, let it go, and they will say, oh, my goodness, that feels so good to let it go. Yeah. And so I say to them, do it eight times a day, do it for a minute or two, just get the muscles a breathing space, let them relax so they can actually feel what, off and down is like 
Then I get them to do some belly breathing. So if for everyone out there, they've got their legs apart, they're slumped back in the chair, belly is off, they're in a world of, oh, my goodness, this is so alien to what I'm actually used to doing. Mm. Now put their hands on their lower belly. And what I want you to do is just breathe into your belly. So as you breathe in, your belly rises up. And as you breathe out, your belly drops away. And this belly breathing is also a window into that parasympathetic nervous system. The nervous system that calms down the release of cortisol and adrenaline. So uh, when people have got pain, and especially when it's cyclical, you think about it, oh my goodness, that period was so bad last month. And oh gosh, it's only a day and I'm going to get that again. And so immediately the brain is going into pain pain mode and you're starting to grip things and you're starting to actually panic and think it was so bad. I couldn't go to work for two days Mm. last month. What am I going to do this month? I've got that really important meeting. So all of a sudden the brain is going into catastrophizing mode release of cortisol and adrenaline and that's what we want to do we, by belly breathing letting everything go off doing our belly breathing and getting really excellent at doing that when we start to feel that anxiety building that cortisol and adrenaline release then we can start to do the things that link into that parasympathetic nervous system the calming one releasing dopamine serotonin mm. and uh, oxytocin so how we as a good teacher of what happens with your muscles you know i think the problem with pilates has always been posturally everything has to be on and it has to be pretty perfect and it has to be tight Mm. and tight is better and strong is better Mm. and this biggest problem we've had in the last 15 years is really a focus on the core and the the core strength is everything Mm. but that focus on the core has really produced a lot of back pain for people because Mm. when everything is on and everything is contracted really strongly there's much more likely to be muscle spasm Mm. in those low back muscles and certainly what we feel in the pelvic floor is these muscles really are cramping or spasming they're really just never relaxing so back to your question how does she know i think the thing is firstly when you start start with everything down and think of it like a an elevator and you're down at the basement so everything is nice and relaxed then when you're trying to recruit the muscles you might be thinking about all right i'm pretend the queen is standing with us i often say to patients and you feel like you need to pass wind but you don't want to because the queen is here so we're going to try and draw in around the anus and that gets elevation and squeeze and closure around that anus when you can feel that lift now let it go and feel it dropping down so you must feel the elevation and you must feel the relaxation. And then we might bring that feeling forward to the vagina and we're going to do the same thing. And this time it might be you feel like a tampon is dislodged and you're going to just try and grab that tampon and lift it up. So you're getting that elevation and that squeeze and you must keep breathing. And the important thing is, and you know, I mean, Pilates instructors are always trying to encourage people to breathe. Mm. Breathing is very important. And I don't focus a lot on, is it on the out-breath or the in-breath? I say just breathe Mm. and talking you know if you can talk and contract then you're not breath holding so you know sometimes when people are having trouble with breath holding when I examine them over there I actually get them to say if they're really having trouble I said you've got a grandchild get your grandchild's book read a story because you don't even have to focus on that you're just reading out a very simple story and you try and contract your muscles and then you know that if you're talking and you can feel that lift and squeeze and you're trying to elevate it, get it up to that 10-second hold, then you know if you're talking, you're not holding your breath. And then 
you must then feel after you've done the 10 second hold, can you feel it relaxing right down? So I think back to your friend who asked you that. I think first fall in love with the feeling of slumping and slouching. Mm. It's okay. And I think teach your patients that it's okay. And I think teach them that it's important not to be on all the time. There is all this co-contraction that happens around the pelvis, the abdominals, the glutes, the inner thighs. And that they're mindful. If they can't feel it themselves, then they need to go and see some. If the Pilates instructor doesn't know really what's going on there. Yeah, exactly. Go and ha- <laughs> go and see your nearest public health physiotherapist and have a talk to them and get that internal so you understand it. Because, I mean, back to me, I used to, before I came into doing them at that hospital years ago, I used to take antenatal classes for years and years, you know. I used to actually teach it. Mm. And it wasn't until I actually had it properly, you know, taught to me in a course and Mm. I really understood what was going on. So, you know, I was teaching women in an antenatal class, but I truly didn't understand what was going on. So I think if you're teaching anything about the pelvic floor, it's great to actually have that internal examination yourself and have that experience of saying, what are my muscles? And I see a lot of Pilates instructors and they have a big problem in that they often have really overactive muscles. Their muscles are holding a lot of tension and they struggle with letting go. And once they learn that, they get it and they understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's the combination of the tightness and the weakness that can happen at the same time. And look, you can have also, and I think we're going to talk about this in a moment, where you have a traumatic birth injury called levator avulsion and that's where the muscles are actually partially or completely pulling away from that pubic bone. And so if you have a one-sided defect and Pilates instructors, just like women's health physios, are not saved from having that injury if they've had children. Like it doesn't matter. People are always surprised when a pelvic health physiotherapist has problems. I say that's why we all get into it is because we realise we've got problems and we want to find out more about it. So we go and do the courses, you know, then we get passionate about it and get into it. Mm -hmm. So the important thing is that, If you've got a real weakness on one side, then you have the other side overcompensating, trying really furiously to maintain continence, trying really furiously to hold the prolapse up, trying really furiously to stop having fecal escaping. So those muscles are often working way too hard and they can be quite tender. So it's that balancing act. We've got to teach them that it is important to relax those muscles so they don't develop those tender points. Wow, that's full on. Can that have effects on the hip joint as well if one side is tighter than the other? Yeah. Don't get caught using outdated exercises with your pre- and postnatal clients and thus injuring them and potentially losing them as a client. When I first started teaching prenatal women 18 years ago, in the studio I was working at, all the instructors were giving the prenatal clients adductor squeezes with the magic circle between the thighs, perhaps to encourage pelvic floor activation. Adductor squeezes aggravate uninflamed pubic synthesis, which I quickly discovered when working with one of my first prenatal clients. Although she seemed fine at the time with the circle between her thighs, she could barely walk after doing this exercise. Don't let this happen to you. Don't be ashamed if you don't know everything about pre and postnatal exercise. And by keeping that a secret, you allow your pride to rob you of your reputation, perhaps even of your job. 
Don't trick yourself into thinking you already know everything and you were too smart to do an online course or a face-to-face -face workshop. Do the Torb Pilates pre- and postnatal course that has been developed over 10 years with pre- and postnatal client programs documented during each phase of pregnancy and beyond. So a lot of times, and that's where the marrying together of musculoskeletal and public health physiotherapy is so important, because, you know, musculoskeletal physios are looking at everything on the outside mm. and Pilates instructors are teaching a lot about muscles around the outside of the hip mm. and without necessarily understanding what is their relationship with what's going on in the pelvic floor. So a lot of times when someone's got a hip resolve, unresolvable hip pain mm. or a low back pain, they are sent to us to say, well, what's going on on the inside of the pelvis? So if you look at the model of the 3D pelvis here, which I know our listeners can't see, but, you know, you've got all your external muscles here but this band of muscles around the bottom end is extensive and it's striated muscle which actually develops tender points just like uh, those striated muscles like around our shoulders and our neck you know mm. if you're guarding and holding yourself all the time when you're looking at the computer or you know for six hours mm. at night you know you get tender points in that area and so you know what do you do you concentrate on relaxing you get in there and you do some massage of that and these striated muscles internally are just the same. And for some women who are suffering with painful intercourse, which is called dyspareunia, then they often need to actually learn how to massage those muscles. And because we just can't reach them physically with our fingers, we sometimes have to teach them how to use dilators or trainers to actually do that massage and how to actually get over their painful intercourse by having graded exposure to different size dilators so they can get up to the size that they actually need, you know, that matches up with their partner. Wow. That's just full on. I saw <laughs> some of those pictures in the book and the wand picture as well. Yes. So I was like... That's a very curious thing. I was wondering how you actually use it. but So what it, that one that is in the book is a shaped one. It's got a bit of a twist in it. And yeah. so it's really nicely shaped because if we're coming in through the vagina, as you can see, Louise, the muscles are sort of a little bit like a shallow bowl and the muscles, you need to sort of turn it to the side to actually reach those muscles. So oh. that's what the idea of the little shape kink is, is oh. that it actually allows the, the woman right and what we want is we want women to have self-efficacy we want them to be at home doing these things we don't want them coming in three times a week to the physio to have the massage do the uh, myofascial massage we don't want that we want them to be empowered at home and so when they need to have intercourse they do that as a precursor to that they might work on some other strategies we've given them and then they can manage it at home we're not sort of dependent on coming into a therapist to have that done to them so mm. that's the point we have a very long consultation initially you know what we teach is you know, very repetitive. I teach about bladder and bowel five times a day and I teach about pelvic floor muscles which are overly switched on another five times a day. So it's full on talking, talking, talking. Mm. And so, you know, if you cut corners and you don't give them that education, then you're not empowering them with that knowledge base. And we know the evidence tells us that one in four women will get a 50% improvement in their pelvic pain simply by through pain education. So the Explain Pain um, series of books, um, which I totally recommend to anyone who's dealing with a lot of clients in pain, mm. um, written by David Butler and Laura Mosley, um, is really talking about what is different about persistent pain versus acute pain when you sprain your ankle. Mm -hmm. And so that's where if they can learn and understand about persistent pain and how some of the things you might use and say to people like, oh, my goodness, that is a really scary MRI you've got there. Look at this. That's really bad. Like, 
even that language that you use when you go through an MRI or an X-ray with a client that you might see in Pilates, mm. you know, you don't know the damage that that might be doing to that patient just by hearing those words. Those words. words can be very yeah. powerful. And so when we're with clients, we've got to be very careful about how we say things, what we say and what the implication of those words is going to be. Mm. You know, like a classic one that I get a lot is that if I don't sit really upright, like my physio slash Pilates instructor has got to said my SIJ joints are going to go out of alignment. And so the patients are there paralyzed with fear that if they slump at all, then their SIJ will go out, their sacroiliac joint will go out. Oh, no. And so what we've got to do is understand that that is not right, that, that the spine is inherently very strong and mm. the pelvis is very robust and that it actually delights in having a bit of relaxation, that it actually sitting, remember that thing about sitting like a man, mm. you know, that's the easy way to remember it. Belly off, pelvic floor relaxed, lumbar spine slumped, you know, goes against every core fibre of what you yeah, think what about. Taught, and what you're taught to be and feminine as well. Yeah, and so okay. we've got to do that to actually relax these muscles, which could be contributing to the persistent pain. Mm, that's mm. so fascinating. I was, oh, actually, going back, I thought it was interesting to note in one of your blogs, you said that recent research papers that show I've got the quotation marks going, show that supervised training of the pelvic floor in classes and group sessions is better than assessing and teaching pelvic floor muscle training to a woman and then sending them home to do an exercise home program. And it appears that women need the supervision, the motivation and the inspiration, the dedication that a pelvic health physio supervised class can give them. So... As Pilates instructors, how like I feel like that actually gives us a, more of a role to be able to assist with people who do have pelvic floor issues because we can encourage them with that. So yeah. yeah, look, I think that's right, and I think the key message there is that we've got to know what we're doing. And so once you someone has been to see a pelvic health physiotherapist, we routine thing with pelvic health physiotherapy in Australia is that we do see people, we give them a home program, we send them away, we ask them to comply and adhere to that. But if you look at, truly at the evidence, it is about supervised classes. So overseas, there are a lot more classes where they have just pure pelvic health physio classes. And because subsidised through the health system, you know, they just come in three times a week and they do that and so that evidence really points to there being a better outcome than if people are just unsupervised at home. So I think a good teacher, a good pelvic health physiotherapist who can really sell the message that you have to do this on a regular basis, mm. you know, is going to be a fantastic start. But if you can then encourage them to go and see the local Pilates person mm. who we know because we've had maybe the liaison with them, they've come to see us, they've had a chat, we know that they're in touch, they understand about their own pelvic floor, they know how what it means to do a pelvic floor contraction, what it means to relax, yeah. then we know it's pretty safe. And as long as they cue that tightening and that relaxation, and they're mindful through their screening sheets. I've you know, mentioned that it's really important to have a screening sheet so you understand what's going on for those women. Do they think they've got prolapse? Do they have any urine incontinence? Do they have any other pelvic uh, dysfunction? Mm. Then you know that you've got to cue this patient differently to the other people in your class. Yeah. And without do that without saying, and Mrs Black over there, <laughs> you've got the prolapse, don't do this exercise, which... 
Unfortunately, I do get stories back about that, oh, that, that women give up classes because they've really had the attention focused on them. You do it this way. Everyone else can do it this way, but you've oh, got to do it this dear. way. So I think it's that making sure people understand that if they've you've identified there's a problem, they've told you, they might have seen a public health physiotherapist, they've said, don't do this, don't do that then what you're going to do is say, I'm going to have exercise one and exercise two. If you're in that situation, this is what you do. This is the modification yeah. of the exercise. So, again, those that language and being mindful about how, you know, people feel about yeah. being sort of pointed, you know, pointed out, out. In yeah, yeah, in class. It's not like some people use it in a way that's just a friendly, joking way, but deep down you, you just don't know how it's going to affect someone yeah, and it might exactly. be the reason they give up the class with you because they just don't want to actually have that attention drawn to the fact that they might have pelvic floor dysfunction. Yeah. But if we think about prolapse, we know 50% of women over the age of 50 are going to have some degree of prolapse. Now, only 15% of those people are actually symptomatic. Yeah. So. You, you know, you've got a lot of you you've got no a lot idea. of people who've got it, and it may not be bothersome. But if you actually they're doing the right thing by trying to get some exercise, mm. and you have got them in a class, and you're oblivious to the fact that they might have these issues, then it could be that you know that does the thing. But yeah, I think there's a huge role for Pilates to be integrated with that local physio, pelvic health physiotherapist, and run with that. It, but stay within that scope of practice. You know, so oh. don't do things that are outside the scope of practice. Just if you're unsure, refer them on. And we are first contact practitioners. We don't need a doctor's referral. So yeah, that's you what can, I thought. I thought we needed no, to refer, no, like, go to the GP, no, get the referral no, from no. the GP. No, no, no. People can walk in off the street and ask us about their vagina and their bladder. So we, they, they ring up here. They do not need a, a doctor's oh, referral. Well, now, if really we're worried time. about something, of course we're looking for red flags. And if we see some things such as recurrent urinary tract infections, difficulty voiding, there are definite cues that we will say, okay, no, we're going to send them. We might give them some information, but we're going to say go on and do, you know, see your GP about this. This is a problem. Mm. So definitely... Uh, I, I would encourage you to get people to come and have that internal examination. Yeah, I think it's essential. Mm. And um, traditionally Pilates exercises include so many exercises with intra-abdominal pressure, with push-ups, planks, sit-ups, double leg lowers. Do you have any advice? Well, actually, you've given us great advice already for Pilates instructors working with women with pelvic floor issues. And what exercises are actually safe for pelvic floor if someone has got pelvic floor issues so i'm trying to sort of say, rather than saying safe we're trying to now say friendly oh, okay so that it's again that language and i've been guilty of it and that's why when i wrote each edition i couldn't wait till the the rest of them could be pulped you know because oh, you move forward and yeah, yeah. so this latest series of books have both got really careful about language and really careful about not generalising, saying don't do any of this Pilates exercise. Rather, let's assess what the individual woman's pelvic floor is like. There's plenty of women who can manage all that stuff. You know, there's no problem. But there's also others who will definitely be made worse if you give them certain exercises. And and I do encourage that you be everyone becomes more mindful about, well, what is really going on under that leotard? You know, what is yeah. it that I don't really know that's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And... I was interested to read about how to defecate. How should we be doing that? 
Can you tell our listeners how we should be going to the toilet to do number twos? Well, look, I go through it extensively in the book. Both books have got that in because defecation is really related to prolapse. And so straining at stool is a common cause of prolapse. It can even cause it in women who haven't had a baby. I know. I read that and I was like, oh, my God, I haven't had a baby. But what about those times I was constipated? Am I not going to have a prolapse? (laughs) So it definitely is something that persistent straining at stool is something we do try and avoid people who've got different collagen makeup um, certain uh, conditions do have a poorer sort of collagen and more at risk of that um, it doesn't mean everybody who hasn't had a baby who's had some straining will get a prolapse again it comes back to that we've got to keep looking at women as individuals not as a blanket rule for everybody mm. In, when you're in a podcast without vision, it's pretty hard to do it, to describe, describe it. What yeah. we what I have got here is that I've got um, toilet rolls that are underneath the each foot, so you've got your feet around twelve inches apart. You're leaning forward, and this is one thing where we do try and keep a good posture. We've got our chest out, and we're maintaining the curve in the back, and just hands on knees and leaning forward with those feet elevated. Then we actually relax on the toilet rolls; they're elevated. Then we relax our belly. And I'm just popping my hand around the middle of Louise's belly. And Louise, I want you to bulge that tummy wall out. So I want you to push my hand away and relax and let it go. And again, now bulge it out. And if the listeners are doing that, what they should feel is as you bulge your tummy, you get an opening sensation around the external anal sphincter or the anus. So you get a relaxation of that anus because that's what's relaxing the big muscle down there called puborectalis and allows the correct angle of the anorectum to allow the stool to come out but it is something that really needs one-on-one sort of explanation which with each person so if you've got someone out there who's having real trouble again that's the sort of thing you'll be taught when you go to see a public health physiotherapist but generally if you you know people many people read the book try it and say oh my goodness this is incredible and it doesn't need to have that just popping the feet elevated and doing that dynamics of the tummy will certainly make a difference so i just implore if anyone's got issues check out the APA website for find a physio and look and see who's specializing in pelvic health nearby so you can go and see them. Wow. Yeah, because I know some people are worried if they have an abdominal separation or a hernia that they're thinking, oh, well, I don't want to bulge up my tummy because I'm going to push my hernia out or I'm going to push, you know, something else out. So, So look, if someone has got, uh, I think we talked before about a guy who had a specific hernia and, and, you know, if someone's got a decent hernia, that needs that individual one-on-one, don't just try something, but giving some hand support directly over that hernia so it stops it popping out while they're actually dynamically bulging their tummy, Mm -hmm. you know, should be fine. But, you know, it's something that I'm not going to give a, uh, you know, anything I say here today is really not for rules that people must do. It's really you've got to make sure you get your seek your own advice from either your GP, a specialist or a public health physiotherapist. I'm not sort of doing blanket things, consultations over the airways. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but we've almost running out of time, but I did just want to ask two questions. I did have a Pilates instructor at one of our workshops and she'd already had had a child and she went to her GP at the six-week point and the GP just asked her two questions, which was, did you have a natural delivery, which she said yes, and then they said, oh, did you need any stitches? And she said no, and they just said, oh, you're good to go. But she kind of felt really cheated after making all the effort to turn up to that consultation and it's sort of not really going anywhere. So it's kind of like, and I did read 
in your book how you're saying we should actually be, it should be mandatory that we actually have that six-week check with a pelvic um, physiotherapist, but also should we be referring people, because I've got a couple of clients who are planning to have a baby, they're not pregnant yet, but they're mm. wanting to have a baby, and also is it safe to go in when you're pregnant to have a pelvic yeah. test to see if, how the muscles are going. So I think if someone is, and there's a lot of pre- pregnancy planning happening now, even for the guys, you know, when people don't fall pregnant, they often just blame the woman, whereas it can be the, the guy that's having problems. So there's actually pre- preconception sort of workshops now that are happening, looking at the risk factors, perhaps for men and women in terms of getting pregnant. But absolutely, if someone's planning to get pregnant, go to the pelvic health physiotherapist. They may have no problems, but they can hear what is normal, what goes wrong. Mm. They can look at risk factors. So perhaps they might be um, 36, they might be 160 centimetres and their mother's got a prolapse. You know, that they've got a lot of risk factors for potentially having some issues with having a vaginal delivery. So I don't want to go out of our scope of practice either because we're not obstetricians, but we can certainly say, look, these are questions you should really run past your obstetrician, mm. you know, because we have these predicting um, model, models now where we can actually say by looking at a whole lot of research, this is the risk factors and they're, they're listed under your choice, which is in the book. And, you know, there's a lot more work coming out on predicting who are the risk at-risk women and who are the women who are not at risk. I know because one of the risks was like your choice and one of them was H for height and I'm like going, hang on, I'm not 160 centimetres. Would I be at risk of prolapse? So I, I think you, you ask why does 160, like it's probably that they've had a whole lot of factors they've looked at. And with the research, it's shown that you know, repeatedly women who are 160 centimetres or shorter have got more pelvic floor dysfunction. So it's probably a statistical thing. And also those women may have smaller pelvic outlets and yeah. so they're at risk. But coming back to your question, so yes, definitely go learn about what's normal, what goes wrong, see about those risk factors, have the internal examination before you're pregnant so we can see, well, what are the things going on? You know, is there a problem or no, it's fine. How do you do a pelvic floor contraction? We can teach you that. So easy to do. Teach you defecation, change defecation. Everybody needs to learn how to defecate properly. Yeah. Then if they don't do that, when they come when they're early pregnant, like 15 weeks, I usually say, look, let's wait until you're closer to the delivery time. And so to have that internal examination. Now, if someone is sexually active and, you know, what an internal examination from a pelvic health physiotherapist is nothing in terms of what is happening with intercourse in terms of the severity of the movement or the hitting the cervix, we stay away from that. But I tend to, as I get older, just say, look, we can wait until a little bit later in the pregnancy because it just, we don't want anything to happen and we just don't want there to be any seeming that it's related to the internal examination. And if a girl doesn't want to have it, I won't do it. You know, I'm not going to put force the issue ever. But, you know, having that examination and knowing how the pelvic floor muscles work, what is going on there before you have the vaginal birth is often very handy. I think so too. It would make you feel more confident because you go in there sort of having like, you know, what's going to happen. Mm. But the other thing is if they haven't had that pre thing, then definitely it's six weeks. But back to the GPs, look, I don't blame the GPs. They work on a six-minute model. They're reimbursed for seeing a woman. They get some tiny amount. And, you know, if 
preventative health wants to really kick in, mm. then they've got to be funded better by Medicare yeah. to engage with that patient for a longer time, to yeah. teach them, to examine them and see, well, what's going on there? Or giving them a referral at least to a pelvic health physio, encouraging them to go and get that evaluation yeah. if they haven't got the time. So it's not necessarily the GP's fault. I think it's the way of medicine, you know, the structure, the, the, the structure of this model of just doing a six minute consultation he, he probably doesn't want to buy into any too many issues but if you're asking me what should women do they definitely shouldn't be doing too much too vigorously too early when you've had a baby you've pushed a baby yeah. out and the in the intensity of wanting to get back to get your belly right and your pelvic floor yeah. sorry get to running and lose the weight you know sometimes you might do damage that you regret so having that assessment at six weeks from a pelvic health physiotherapist is so important yeah absolutely yeah well, thank you, Sue Croft, for all of your amazing insight. I've really enjoyed just listening to you talk. It's just been really, really wonderful. I've really loved it. Yep. And please, listeners, do go out and purchase Pelvic Floor Essentials. Um, and, Sue, can you tell us all of your contact details, how people can find your book, how people can find you to book in and see you and or even someone, another practitioner at your um, clinic? And website, everything we want to know, all your okay. details. So, do you have um, do you have no show notes? I that do. You, I'll have yeah, links yeah. at so, the bottom. So, I think. Look, uh, the big thing is I write a blog, and I've written over three hundred and twenty blogs now. So. Um, a blog is just an article and I write them all trying to make them in a user-friendly way. So some are about public, a lot, most are about public floors. Some are about my holidays when I go away. So if you like Italy, there might be a few in there. Some are a little bit different, but I'm basically trying to educate everybody about pelvic floor dysfunction. It is something that responds very well to education and if you dispel the myths and you in, include lots of science but in a user-friendly way then people are going to understand more about their public floor problems so you just if you just google sucroft blog it'll come up um if you i am on twitter and my twitter handle is at scroftpf meaning standing for public floor and uh, i'm on instagram at scroftpf on instagram and in terms of people who are living in Brisbane and want to come close, come to our practice, again, just Google Sue Croft blog physiotherapist and my practice will come up. But there's lots of public health physiotherapists out there and I'm sure Louise's blog goes, uh, podcast goes a lot further than just Brisbane. So, oh, yeah, um, you know, if you're in the area, what I want you to do is to try and get in and have that examination with somebody. So it doesn't have to be me. It can be if you're in Brisbane, it can be any of the girls here. It can be any of the other pelvic health physios. But, you know, the message is get that internal done, get an idea of what's going on and, yeah, keep learning, keep reading. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. And so whereabouts exactly? What's the link to get your book? Which so is the, the link is uh, on pelvicfloorrecovery.com pelvicfloorrecovery.com that's right so, because there's two spots if you're a practitioner you can get a discount yes so if you work in health so if you're a pilates instructor or a physio or a doctor or anyone who's in health nurse then you get a discount on and they're so book. cheap they're like 20 bucks <laughs> so it's like... 16 if you're a health professional so oh my god yeah so and there is lots of information there we send it out around the world so we send internationally and um, you just pay for the postage. So the book itself, uh, and you can buy in bulk and sell them to your own clients if you want to. So, yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for your time, Sue. It's a pleasure. Lovely to talk.
Thanks so much for joining me. If you've learned something awesome today, do a friend a favor and share this episode so that they too can learn the art of Pilates. You can book a Pilates session with me at louisetorbpilates.com. Don't forget, you can see the show notes in your podcast app or over at my other website, torbpilatestraining.com. So if there is anything you want more info on, check it out there. If you love what you hear, I would really appreciate you leaving a review. I hope that you've enjoyed listening and that you have learned some tips and tricks to help you master the art of Pilates. If you'd like to join our supporter community, you can do so at patreon.com, the art of Pilates. I hope you have a great rest of your day and enjoy Pilates.